Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to the latest edition of Pirates Talk. The COVID-19 pandemic has altered everything in society, from how we socialize to what and how we can dine, work out, and shop, and of course, on to sports. Most conferences have postponed their fall seasons, including the Big East, while a few have decided to push on, at least in football, and the American public is split into two camps. One hoping that those football teams fail, aha, I told you so, while others are hoping for success just so they can put down those who have favored a significant shutdown to prevent the spread of the virus. Ha ha, I told you so, they also think. What a crazy time. From a Seton Hall and Big East basketball standpoint, will there be basketball? What shape will it take? Will it be a shortened season? A conference-only season? Will there be a bubble? So many questions. Today, I'm fortunate to have as my guest someone who can provide some clarity and who can give us his insight as to what Seton Hall season will look like, assuming we get a season. He's Jerry Carino, noted college basketball writer and columnist for the Asbury Park Press and the Gannett newspaper chain, who is also a voting member for the AP Top 25. And I'm pleased to welcome Jerry to Pirates Talk. Jerry, good to speak with you again. You've always been a friend of the show, and I appreciate your time. Boy, in so many ways, this is a year that will go down in history, won't it? Matt, the strangest offseason, season, non-season of all time. I mean, it's crazy for every sport, but especially for college basketball, which had its championship canceled. And so there's just such an air of unfinished business. And now uncertainty as we get ready for a new season. Yeah, there's no there's no measuring stick for this. It is it's uncharted territory, both in sports and, and around the world in this country. And uh, we are just muddling our way through and hopefully in the near term. And I don't know what that term means. I don't know what the near term is. I didn't think we'd be six months in and, and still dealing with the issues we are. But hopefully in the near term, uh, we'll get back to whatever our new normal will look like at any rate. So what can you tell us? What is the latest? We'll dive into Seton Hall in particular in a bit, but what can you tell us about what the Big East is hoping to do with its basketball season? Let's start with this, and it's some good news, Matt. There's going to be a college basketball season. It's We're not going to have a situation in college football where, you know, a few big leagues just pulled the plug. Um, a couple of them pushed back the start date a month. A couple of them started earlier. They're not going to have that in college basketball, and that's because of a name that will be familiar to Northeast basketball fans, and that is uh, Dan Gavitt, who's son of Dave Gavitt, the legendary Big East founder. Dan Gavitt is in charge of college basketball for the NCAA. There's no comparable person with college football. So behind the scenes, Dan has been working to get everybody on the same page. He's going to announce within the next week or two uh, the details for the NCAA tournament, which I expect to be in March and probably in a bubble-type environment. And then basically from there, it's going to be up to the league's you know, the 30 somewhat leagues to figure out how they're going to have a season and get teams, uh, get teams a resume for that tournament or get an automatic bid for that tournament. Uh, the big East has, from what I'm hearing, they've had several different models. It's almost like a flavor of the week. And this is a fluid situation that we're in, Matt. It's like one week. It'll be, this is the model we're going to do. And the next week it'll be, this is the model. And I I don't blame any administrators for changing things. I mean, like, like you said, uncharted waters, it sounds like they're going to use some combination of a short-term bubble. So we're not talking about NBA or NHL-style bubbles. 
which lasted a couple months. That's not going to happen for college athletes. You can't do that with college athletes. Um, from, from what I gathered, the bubble environment, you know, the normal bubble environment, not the NBA model, which is $150 million and there's fishing and there's golf. You're not going to have that for college athletes. The normal environment, you're talking about a two to three week shelf life before things really start getting claustrophobic and people start getting sick of it. That's what I've heard. So I think you're going to see the Big East use a short term bubble, at least one of, I would say, two to three weeks, less than four weeks, between two and four weeks. Um, could be in Hartford, Connecticut, could be in Omaha, uh, could be a mix splitting the two, you know, the league's Eastern and Midwestern factions. It's going to be for men's and women's basketball. So 22 teams total. Uh, you're going to see some sort of bubble, I think, at some point. And then an idea that I've heard, and it's interesting, you haven't seen much written about this, is the idea of pods on campuses. So, like, for example, uh, you'll have four teams, say, you know, uh, doing a weekend sort of pod where they get games on Friday and Sunday, and they're all at the same hotel, you know, next to a college campus. They'll play double headers on the on, at the college's arena, and that's the one way you'll get games in without having to utilize a bubble. But you can keep them in sort of a cloistered environment. So that's another thing that's being discussed. Um, you're going to definitely see a conference season. How much non-conference? I'm not sure, but the ball is rolling, and there will be basketball this winter. Well, that is certainly great news, and. You know, I applaud all the administrators. I know a lot of them, especially in football, some of the college presidents and what have you have have taken a lot of hits because some conferences are playing, some aren't. And, you know, why won't you let us play? And we're ready to play. And there's almost an insurrection among the coaches against their bosses. It's, oh, sure. It's crazy, right? But as to your point, look, this is a changing world and it changes on a weekly basis. We know more, we find out more. And I can see where two of those scenarios, either one, the pods or the bubble, work because the bubble more than the pod, perhaps, but we'll know more. We, we, we know what we have to do. We have to check temperatures. We have to isolate right away. We've learned so much in six months. I know there's a concern about a second wave and our medical facilities being overwhelmed. My wife works in a hospital. I mean, she went through it. She saw it. It was just incredible, the amount of pressure that was put on her hospital with the COVID patients and then the deaths among the elderly, et cetera, et cetera, all those things we need to, uh, that we know. So no one wants to see a return to that, but I think we've learned enough that we can proceed. But I guess we have to accept that some players will get sick. And I guess that's the hardest thing. How do you look into a parent's eyes, into a student athlete's eyes and say, sorry, it happened to you, but we've decided to play on. But life's not perfect. That's kind of how I look at it. We have to take steps forward slowly but surely and keep moving forward here. So I, you make a good point about the looking in the parents' eyes because I think what I think what grinded the Big Ten football to a halt was it was not Rutgers having thirty people and staff members sick, although that obviously wasn't good. It was it was the the Indiana lineman who was hospitalized yes. with heart issues. The mother had had a passionate and passioned, you know, Facebook post about it, and that really got everyone to sit up and notice. Hey, it could be liability issues here. We're dealing with people's kids, uh, and so. That was the thing that's I think really stopped Big Ten football cold. Now, there's going to be, you know, they're going to have to do something about testing, uh, but it helps that testing is growing more rapid. Okay. You can't just test people occasionally. And I think that's going to, I think how frequently schools test is going to determine some of the matchups 
this year. Uh, but yeah, that's something that from a liability standpoint, from a personal risk standpoint, that everyone's going to have to proceed on the same page. Like I, my daughter just started rec soccer, you know, yesterday. Uh, and yeah, she's out there running around with, with 10 other kids on a field her age. She's eight. And they're not having, ma- they don't have masks on. How can you put a mask on in 80 degree weather running around in soccer? So yeah, this is just a type of thing where um, schools are going to have to proceed with caution, but they're going to have to proceed because that's life. And what I would say, Matt, is the other thing is the biggest threat to, to really the, the health situation with these athletes is not, it's not sports. It's, it's the campus life, right? I mean, that's the hard part. It's so uh, to me, college has always been the toughest level to play in a pandemic because the, you have the campus life is antithetical to social distancing. <laughs> yes, it right? is. My daughter's not going to parties with 200 kids stuffed in a couple of rooms. You know, she's eight years old. The pros are you know, getting paid millions to live in their bubbles, whether it's in an actual bubble or to isolate themselves in their personal life. It's different in a college campus environment. And that's the challenge. You're right. The people are going to get sick. There's going to be people who have the virus, whether it's asymptomatic or with some symptoms, uh, and they're going to have to be isolated. And teams might have to scratch, you know, certain games or certain weeks of their schedule. It's all uncharted waters. But you just I think everyone's just kind of hoping that 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 situation in Indiana was an anomaly rather than what's going to be common among 18 to 22 year olds who are you know, in the fittest part of their life. Yes. Uh, and by the way, it's well in my rear view mirror, but I do recall those invincible years when I was <laughs> when I was in college and a little bit after, not so much before, quite frankly, but a little bit after where you thought, ah, nothing's going to happen. And yeah, that's that's just that age group. And so that that's a reality as well. Hey, let's talk about and and listen, that is great news that there'll be something announced shortly and uh, NCAA basketball is in good hands. Uh, if the Gavit name is involved. So uh, looking forward to that good news. So let's just turn our attention a little more locally to Seton Hall. It's been an interesting summer, but it started, if you want to go back to the end of the Big East, it started, and no NCAA basketball tournament and no Big East tournament after a brief start. Uh, terrible beginning to the last six months uh, because there were a lot of positives and a lot of excitement around what Seton Hall might do and Miles Powell and his his going away party. But then it has turned into a summer of excitement, hasn't it? Uh, they've recruited incredibly well. They got the news of Bryce Aiken's transfer. Uh, Mamu Kalashvili, Sandro decides not to pursue the NBA and things are awfully bright at Seton Hall. Right. So, yes, you went from the crushing disappointment of a potential Final Four team never getting a crack at the big dance to everything is sort of lined up for the hall in the offseason. Like you said, they had to get a point guard. and They had to get someone who could score from the perimeter. And they got one. And, and Bryce Aiken, the Jersey boy coming home, uh, uh, Randolph uh, native, uh, Patrick School grad, uh, transferring out of Harvard after he got his degree. And, you know, the Ivies don't take postgrads. So he's, he's coming here and will run the offense. Uh, for the Pirates, and then Sandro Mamukalashvili tempted, tempted to to turn pro. He could certainly have made money overseas, back home. Uh, probably not in the NBA draft radar this year, but he decides to come back, and you know he will be in a first team All Big East player in the preseason, no question. Could be one of the better power forwards, a stretch fours in the country. So you have that going for them. And then the, Seton Hall's done a good job recruiting. You know, outside of, of Aiken, they've done a good job recruiting, filling some gaps uh, for the 2021 class. 
which we won't see their fruits out on the court this year. But most recently, uh, Brandon Weston, who's a, a wing from Brooklyn, who is a, uh, a four-star player, top 75 player, highest rated recruit to commit to the program since Isaiah Whitehead seven years ago. And we know how well that worked out for the Pirates. So he's headlining what is so far turning out to be a banner 2021 class with three, uh, you know, with three players so far, three very highly regarded players. So yeah, the, the hall's on a roll. The thinking is that they will be an upper half big East team, top five out of the 11 teams on, on paper in the preseason. That's the general thinking. But if you talk to Kevin Willard, he's, he thinks bigger than that. Now, Kevin is like a, is normally in the preseason. It's like a glass half empty guy. Like a lot of coaches are, he really likes this team. And I think he thinks this team could be in the ballpark of how good last year's team was. Which is high praise indeed, considering uh, they had Miles Powell and all the magic that he brought to the table. Romero Gill with, uh, you know, a great send off for uh, his time at Seton Hall, et cetera. So that is, that's high praise indeed. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what you expect this year. How will things shake out? Assuming that everyone's healthy and live up to their billing, uh, what does Bryce Aiken bring to the team that maybe Kevin hasn't had in a while? Uh, and and what's what's the chemistry like? What's the development like? Who are you looking for to elevate their game? So really, Aiken is the is where the focus is going to be, right? You mentioned him because you know that in college basketball, the point guard has outsized influence and, you know, how much is he going to be asked to do, uh, which is a lot. So, and developmentally, yeah, I think it really, I think, I do think it presents an extra layer of challenge look to everybody, but especially Seton Hall having had a sort of a truncated summer with these players because Kevin Willard does his best work developing guys, individual workouts in the summer. Uh, that was really in the spring and summer. There was no spring workout, and then the summer workouts began in July and uh, continue now. Full practice will start in mid-October, it sounds like, with the season starting around Thanksgiving, a little, couple weeks later than usual. So they're a little bit behind in terms, of, in terms of the player development stuff that's been a hallmark of Willard's regime, right? And Bryce Aiken, look, he's a pretty far-developed guy, but he still has to learn Seton Hall's system. He has to get, gain chemistry with his teammates. These are things that have to happen through repetition, through practice, through instruction. So that's a question mark. You know, how much can they get done on that after sort of not having much time to do that at all in the spring and early summer? The second question is, there's no doubt Bryce Aiken can shoot. Look, he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's a prolific scorer. He handles the ball well enough. He's very quick. So he will be, he'll be able to run that offense as a lead guard. The question is, he's had a lot of injuries knee issues, um, how well is he physically going to hold up against a much bigger, stronger schedule, league you know, schedule than he's used to? I think that's a major question. I don't think you're going to see Bryce Aiken playing Miles Powell-type minutes, you know, 32, 35, 38 minutes a game. I don't think you're going to see that. He's just a smaller player. He's Like I said, he's, there's concerns, I think, about how he's going to hold up. So he's going to have fewer minutes, and I think the idea is fewer minutes but more impactful minutes for him. So that's that's the number one thing uh, I think you're going to really look for this year. But he will be a big help. And then we know that Sandro is going to be a force as a as an inside player. Um, you know, he can shoot the three. He can play inside. I think the question beyond Aiken is, and Mamu obviously is not a question, 
Well, he's a given, but the question is then how do the other role players fill in? What kind of bench do they have? And that, that we'll have to see. Who do you think has to step up? Uh, is it uh, among the returning players? Is it Jared Roden? Is it Miles Kale? And, I, you know, we're talking about young men here, so I, I don't mean to be too critical, but so much was expected of him last year, and he really struggled. Is, is he a linchpin? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, I think, yes, Kale is a guy who could be an X factor. So you mentioned Rode, Jared Roden. We know what he, we know what Jared Roden brings. He's going to be tough. Uh, rebound, defense, score all over the court, tough player. Uh, he, he, remember, he missed all of last summer with a really bad ankle injury, high ankle sprain, and he still had a terrific year. So he's going to be very solid, a key player with a lot of minutes and a big role. Miles Kale is the question. Miles Kale comes in as a four-star player. Okay, Kevin has not recruited many of those. He comes in as a four-star player. He plays a key role in 2018, filling in for an injured Desi Rodriguez, helping the team reach the second round of the NCAA tournament. As a sophomore, he shows flashes and has good games and bad games like a, what we expect out of a sophomore, but he, he helps the team reach the NCAA tournament again. And then last year, he really struggled. He struggled on the offensive end. He struggled as a presence, didn't grab as many rebounds as you would think. And that's the big question. The big X factor question is which Miles Kale will show up. What, what, what the coaching staff will tell you is that they believe Kale has a chance to thrive being now outside beyond Miles Powell's shadow. Powell cast a very big shadow, especially over a player like Kale, who, you know, is maybe less assertive, but can score, can attack the rim, can can definitely shoot, and has great athleticism. Will he thrive now that he is out of that shadow? Uh, and that's kind of the, the hope of the coaching staff. I do believe that Kale will get every opportunity. I think he will be in the starting lineup. I think he will get a lot of minutes. He'll get a chance, and Kevin likes him a lot. He's a, he's a great, you know, young man, super Super kid, good teammate. Um, he's going to get a chance, but I couldn't tell you whether Kale's going to hit his shots or not, but I think he will get his shots and he will have the ball in his hands and be given every opportunity. And yes, I do think he's a key X factor for this group. Yeah, that was the frustrating part last year. He just he just couldn't score. He couldn't hit an outside shot. It was incredible to watch his struggles. Uh, but some players, and he may be one of them, and we've seen it before, they just need to step out of that shadow or have the shadow removed. It's, you know, these are all generally A-type personalities, but in the end, there's, you know, there's one alpha dog and, you know, Miles was it last year, no question. And sometimes you either defer or you're, I won't say afraid, reluctant to to do something, step up. You think, oh no, that's 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 him. He's got to do that. And it just, play, it plays mind games with you. So So maybe we will see, uh, what we have seen before in other situations, other places, other sports. Right. When some big star leaves, there's room for others to grow. So hopefully that happens for Miles Kale. What about some of the guys off the bench, some of the names that Seton Hall fans have heard about, anticipated, but don't really know much about? What What's the depth like for Seton Hall? Who's going to be some contributor off the bench? Uh, let's start with the backcourt. And we mentioned Bryce Aiken, obviously, but then they will have several other guards in the mix. Uh, I think this is going to be a, this is a deep position for them for Seton Hall. So, you know, Kevin has the option of maybe starting Miles Kale in a two shooting guard type of spot. It's the basketball's largely positionless nowadays, but uh, and he wants to start Roden at the three. But then other traditional guards who could come in. To Cal Molson is a name Seton Hall fans are going to get familiar with. 
He's a Kinesius transfer. He's junior eligibility-wise. He was a first-team All-MAC player uh, at Kinesius now, and he's a New York State native. Uh, Kevin and Seton Hall have had a lot of success with these up transfers. Quincy McKnight being the you know the most recent salient example coming from the Northeast Conference to be a standout Big East guard. So Cal Molson has a lot of McKnight in him. Okay, so I've seen him practice. We obviously haven't seen him in a game yet, but uh, Molson is tough. He's a good defender. He's a junkyard dog type of player. He's an, a rim attacker. I don't know that he'll he'll be a spot up shooter, which is why he might not be a traditional two guard type of player. McKnight really wasn't either, although he could hit a three. He mostly didn't. He scored mostly attacking, drawing fouls, um, and you know taking back um, uh, passes he picked off in the passing lane. But but yes, I think Molson will be that type of player. Pest a pest on defense. Uh, a junkyard guy on offense, rebounding, et cetera. So he's going to play a lot, and he could play. He could wind up playing starters minutes. He'll be a key guy. All right. Then you have Shavar Reynolds, who is just the greatest story, right? Shavar Reynolds, who comes out of uh, Manchester Township High School in Ocean County, as a second team All Shore Conference player. Division three schools are recruiting him, and then he winds up walking on to Seton Hall. He either did a prep year, prep school year, and then walked on to Seton Hall. And then after a year, he had the, he was going to drop out. His father's a, a a Navy chief who serves overseas, and uh, they just couldn't afford for him to keep going to the school. He's going to drop out. Kevin upgrades him to full scholarship, and he rewards Willard with this sort of spectacular improvement. Whereas now he's a he's a he's a certifiable impact Big East guard, you know, coming off the bench, shot forty seven or forty eight percent from three last year. It was a ridiculous number. And so he's going to play a lot in a combo guard capacity. Very reliable. Doesn't turn the ball over. Takes good shots and plays outstanding defense. Will be a top on-ball defender. And then the, the other guy is Jahari Long. Jahari Long is an incoming freshman who uh, is, a, is a point guard who I think he's a big point guard. And the, word, the early word on him, Matt, is he's been impressive in these summer workouts and individual instruction. And he's going to be the backup point guard to – to Bryce Aiken, and if Bryce is on, you know, minutes count or fairly limited minutes, uh, Jahari Long's going to play a lot. So that's that's a pretty good, pretty deep backcourt. Uh, the other positions where we mentioned Roden and Kale as the wings, and in the front court, Sandra, of course, everything will run through him in the front court. But Tyree Samuel is a name you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a freshman from Canada last year, six eight, strong as an ox, real biggie's body super athlete and could shoot the three. So that I'm giving you the profile of an NBA prospect, right? <laughs> a guy that big and fast who could shoot the three. So he, he, he had some impact in limited time last year. You know, he's on the depth chart last year, this year, he's going to be in a major role. And I think the hope is for the hall is that he can come in and really pair with Sandro and give them a pair of big guys, six, nine, six, 10, six, 11 guys who could shoot the three or attack inside which is an extreme rarity in college basketball. So if he develops, as I'm hearing that they think he can, then he's going to be a major impact player. Um, and that's a nice front court. And then Ico Biagi is a seven foot two center backup center last year. He'll probably be in that support role again this year with, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game, but 
But Grant Billmeyer, who coaches the big man, has a nice record of developing these guys. So it'll be interesting to see how far he comes. And look no further than Romero Gill and his development, right? Under exactly. uh, under Bill Myers' uh, tutelage. Jumping ahead uh, to the Big East, looking at, at a little bigger picture, uh, standard teams at the top when it's all said and done? The so, usual suspects? Let's, I mean, Villanova, of course. Of course. They, they could be the preseason number one in the Associated Press Top 25. Uh, you know, they could, be the, they could be the national championship favorite. And they, they lost a great underclassman, Sadiq Bay, to the pros, and they're still going to be loaded. And, you know, Jay Wright comes back. He, 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 he uh, pulls his name out of consideration for the 76ers job, which he never, he never was going to make that leap. I don't care what anybody speculated on in the media or fans or whatever. He's never going to make that leap. He's got it so good at Villanova. Why why would he? I understand there might be a lure. The money would be better. He's making good money at Villanova. How, you know, how many Picassos do you need as the saying goes, (laughs) but he is in the national championship talk every year at a great school. Oh, unbelievable. I I don't know why he would leave, but you know, and he's not going to, and they're going to be loaded. I mean, you, and they're gonna, that so they're going to be they're the team, they're the runaway favorite, and then beyond them, uh, you know probably Creighton is the clear second team. They're a preseason top ten or fifteen team nationally. Uh, Marcus Zagorowski, the last time we saw him, he was shredding Seton Hall to bits at Creighton in the final game of last season, and uh, he will be the Big East preseason player of the year. They have other key parts back, so that that's a number two, a clear number two team. And then beyond that, you 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 talk about, you know, maybe Seton Hall, you talk about Providence, which lost Alpha Diallo, who was their best player last year. But they bring back a lot of the rest of that team that finished really strong in the Big East. Uh, and then and it always played tough defense under Red Cooley. Providence is there. And then the UConn, of course, is the giant wild card in the picture, Matt, is UConn. And this really, UConn's entry, led by Dan Hurley, a name Seton Hall fans know oh so well, will I think will change a lot of dynamics in this league. And I think for the better, I mean, I, I, it, it means a more competitive, even more competitive conference. It means a challenge for a team like Seton Hall or any of the metropolitan area, you know, clubs or, you know, those in the Northeast. I'm not counting the Midwest teams, but, you know, you're going to compete for players and all that sort of stuff. But I know uh, Kevin Willard was on this show. Oh, I don't know, four months ago or so at any rate. And he was like, hey, bring it on. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. It's two more tough games on the schedule. But basically, let's go, right? I mean, it's better for the conference, no question. Listen, the conference wanted it because Fox wanted it, okay? Fox Sports, which is their TV partner, which is essential to their survival, right? To have a major TV partner. Fox Sports wanted the inventory, uh, the extra team. The Madison Square Garden's going to love it if and when the Big East tournament is back there. UConn will, will pack the place every night with their fans. The fans travel. They'll buy tickets to visiting arenas all across the East and maybe even in the Midwest. Uh, so UConn's a huge brand. They've won four national titles. Uh, they're a humongous brand with a big following that draws eyeballs to TV. Dan Hurley is a humongous personality who will, you know, promote the league uh, relentlessly, and people will keep an eye on him. And he's a good coach. He's built two programs from scratch to to be really, really good teams in Wagner, Rhode Island. So there's a no-brainer for the league to add UConn. They add a lot. They also add a fan base that's extremely passionate. Uh, it will be fascinating to see if 
they're a public school, right? They're a big public. You have you have 10 private schools, and now you're letting a public school in. So from a competitive balance standpoint, are you adding a fox to the hen house, you know, recruiting-wise, facilities-wise? Uh, so we'll see. But it's – and I, I think if you talk to coaches privately, there's mixed feelings about it. But everybody knows for the for the benefit of the league as a whole that UConn's going to add a lot. It'll be fun to watch, and they're going to be good. You know, they're borderline top 25. They bring a lot back from a team that won 18 games in year two for Hurley, and they will be right there in the mix to be the third best team beyond uh, Villanova and Creighton. Well, I, I jokingly said, how many Picassos can you have? Uh, but <laughs> I will say you can never have enough national championships that add to the conference's legacy, right? And so Connecticut brings that. So add that to Villanova's titles and let's go. You know, I think it's... I, I think it's awesome for the league, but it will be a challenge. Again, in a tough league, it's two more very difficult games on the schedule. And you I do, do think, Matt, there's one thing that needs to be noted. If the, if the games are played in a neutral environment, whether it's in a bubble or on empty courts, which the likelihood of having fans seems really slim, at least during a regular season or the first part of the season, uh, I think that hurt that does hurt UConn because they have such good home court. They have such rabid fans. I do think it hurts UConn. Uh, it will hurt the teams with the giant, crazy followings more. And, you know, I think I would say that about Rutgers, too, just because the rack is such a home court court environment. I think it will hurt those teams that thrive on their home court uh, not having fans. And that's the sort of an intangible that has to be calculated this season. But we'll see how it plays out. Absolutely. Very good point on your part. So where does Seton Hall fit in? Right outside that group that you discussed? Well, in terms in terms of the top teams, yeah, I think yeah. I think I think if you I think they could be third, they could be fifth. That's my that's my thinking. So like like I said, Villanova, Creighton are definitely one and two, and then any order, Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, I think are three, four, five. Uh, at the moment, I have I have them fourth. They might wind up fifth with the coaches. Um, you know, if you get Kevin w- uh, Willard in, in an honest moment, he might tell you he thinks the third, or uh, they could well be third. So, yeah, somewhere in that mix. And if you're in that group, you're making the NCAA tournament, which would be, you know, really impressive, essentially a sixth straight year for them to do that. And doing it after losing Miles Powell and then uh, Quincy McKnight and Ro Gill would be would be something else. But I do think they're on pace for that. It would be another feather in, in Kevin Willard's cap. Uh, last couple of things and we'll let you go. And thank you so much for sharing your time. The recruiting that has occurred under Kevin has been terrific, very solid. A guy like Miles Powell, yes, uh, it's not so much they took a chance on him, but he blossomed under their coaching uh, and their direction. But he's been able, Seton Hall's been able to reach out now to areas where they've not been before, getting better, deeper into the top 120, 150, who's ever ranking them why? What is happening at Seton Hall? Suddenly their name is mentioned. Is it just a success? But their name is being mentioned with a lot of guys that maybe four or five years ago, they really wouldn't have had a shot. Well, part of it is definitely the success. I mean, that's just part of the deal. You know, you show that you're a factor that you're going to be there in March. That's going to perpet- that's going to recruit itself to a degree. I don't think Kevin's a natural recruiter. He's more of a he's more of a coach's coach, more of a technician, a development guy. But he's he's grown into that role, and people have seen what he what he's done with players. Look, it's easy to look at Miles Powell now and think him becoming an All American was inevitable. It wasn't. It wasn't. He was like a he was like a mid to low range 
four-star player, ranked in the 80s in his class. Um, and he had been he had been injured. He had been overweight because he hurt his he got he had a serious injury in high school. So yeah, Kevin made him into you know, and Biles did it too. Together they they made him into an All American. So people notice that stuff. That's the number one thing when you're recruiting. Yeah, facilities are important. Yes, success is important. Those things are important. They're not the most important. The most important thing is, have you put guys in the pros? Have you developed players into stars? Have you gotten the most out of the people who come into your charge? And Seton Hall doesn't have the pros yet. See, Villanova has all those guys in the NBA now that can point to them and say, we have this guy, this guy, some really good players like Kyle Lowry. Um, Seton Hall doesn't have that. But what they have is they can say, hey, look, Miles Powell came here and became an All-American. Angel Delgado came here and he won the uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award as the best center in the country. Isaiah Whitehead came here and left as an NBA draft pick with the Nets. So they're starting to get that, um, you know, we can produce big players. Sandro Mamouklashvili was an obscure three-star guy, and now he's, you know, first-team All-Big East player. So that's something that plays on the trail. And they have they have good assistance. You know, Grant Billmeyer is, is, is really well-regarded in New Jersey. I think he's a future head coach uh, and at the Division One level. And then they got a couple other guys. Tony Skin, who's plugged into the D.C. market, helped them get uh, Ryan Conway, a, a point guard who's going to be uh, in the 2021 class. And uh, Dwayne Woodward has done a lot of the, a lot of the New York uh, and, and the, the Canada connection that they've developed. And they just got a guy from California, uh, Tyler Powell, good last name for the program. Pookie Wigginton coached him in high school. You remember Pookie? Sure. Uh, Seton Hall's backup point guard in the 89 Final Four team. So that's a connection they can draw on. And Pookie has some big-time players. It's a powerhouse school in California that he's coaching there. And now he can send guys across the country because, you know, Seton Hall has developed all these guys. I think I think the, the development of Miles Powell specifically, and because Miles was such a – not only was he a really good player, but he was such a force, social media, interviews, presence-wise, personality-wise. He was such a force and a brand for the school that it really, I think, helps them say, you can be this next guy. You know, So that's, that's a big piece to it, I think. With that, without question, you, you use the term brand, and I agree with you. It, it sometimes sounds distasteful when we're talking about college athletes, but because of his success – because of some of the crazy shots he made, long range daggers because of his dynamic personality. Look, I know all across America, college basketball fans and high school basketball players, high end players. Boy, the first thing when they rolled out of bed, they were on their phone looking at their, you know, various social media platforms and Miles was there. And suddenly you go, Seton Hall, Seton Hall, Seton Hall. And, you know, like that drop uh, on a stone, it eventually, you know, starts to wear away yeah. the stone. Well, it wears away the unknown factor about Seton Hall. Yeah, I know. He's the, most, he's, he's, the most, he's the most photographed, interviewed and videotaped Seton Hall athlete ever. And people knew, I wrote this last year, I believe it's true. The most well-known person on most college campuses is the football coach or maybe the basketball coach, men's basketball coach. At Seton Hall, it was Miles Powell. No question. And that that carries. And I think they're casting some of those chips now. Well, it is good for Seton Hall basketball, that's for sure. And I, I know we're excited about what lies ahead and very excited about uh, the news that you dropped that 
in the near term, within the next week, 10 days, somewhere in that neighborhood of a time frame, uh, we'll get some very good news regarding college basketball because I miss sports. I'm glad I'm glad we got I'm glad we got hockey back on the NHL level. It's different. A lot of money's been spent to get there. That's not available for the colleges or the high schools. I get that, but Man, I, I I've missed my sport. So and and seeing you, games you and, in, and seeing games in person, my yes. goodness. So uh, I'm very excited about uh, the news that you told us earlier in 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 the interview, Jerry. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to seeing you when we can get together again uh, at a college basketball game. And always appreciate your insights. Can't wait to have a season to discuss, Matt. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. I hope you enjoyed hearing Jerry's perspective on Seton Hall and the college basketball world. I know I did. Special thanks to Pat Christensen for editing the show and providing the Pirates Talk theme. I'm fortunate to have someone as talented as Pat contributing to the show. Uh, thanks, Matt. You can hear Pirates Talk on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Don't forget to like us so we move up a few more spots in the online search engine. And let me know what subjects you think I should be discussing and any other suggestions you may have. And if you use Google Play, just say, hey, Google, play Pirates Talk podcast, and it'll be brought right to you. Not sure about Siri yet, quite frankly, but I am looking into it. At any rate, thanks again for your company. It is very much appreciated. Thanks to Jerry Carino for joining me today. Until next time, be safe, be well, and go Pirates! Pirates!